Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Hallelujah. Will you give a shout to Jesus this morning? Jesus, we love you. We lift you up. We magnify you. We declare there's no one like you. There's no one but you that you're high and lifted up in Ankeny, in Des Moines regional area. You're high and lifted up in Iowa and in the Midwest and all over the United States. Lord, you're high and lifted up above all the nations of the earth. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, today you've come not just to touch us, but to change us. You've not just come to speak to us, but you've come to transform us by the power of your word. And so, Lord, I thank you right now for what you're doing in our midst in this house. And I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying that I'm giving you the promise right under your nose and right under your feet. For this is going to be a season that as you speak forth the harvest, as you speak forth the promises of God, you're going to say it one minute and see it the next. For I'm removing the season of time delays and I'm bringing you into a place of, of actually lining up into the timing of God. And I, I just felt this morning as I was walking up here, I, I heard the words of a secular song. I feel the earth move or the earth shake under my feet. And I felt that in the room this morning. And I, I felt like the Lord w- was actually bringing us into a season where, where as we've endured shakings, now that there's about to be a shaking off. That, that things that we've carried in, things that we've, we've been carrying for periods of time, the Lord's shaking that off. But it's almost as if I saw the Lord opening up reservoirs all over this region. And I just felt like the Lord said there's, there's springs underneath this region, like springs of living water that the Lord is actually about to break forth. And I don't know how to explain it, but it was as if the Lord was saying that I'm, I'm bringing you into a season of refreshing. And I feel like that, that, that we're stepping into that season of, of Acts chapter 3 uh, and, and 20. Repent therefore and be converted that uh, your sins may be blotted out. And times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. And he'll bring forth Jesus who will bring about the restoration of all things. And I feel like there's a refreshing and a restoration coming to the people of God this morning. So Lord, we say yes and amen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can be seated if you can. And uh, what a great honor and privilege uh, to be in Ankeny, Iowa with you today. Uh, I've been to 69 countries, not including Arkansas, Mississippi, and Iowa. Uh, and um, that's a joke. Um, and, and it is a great honor really to be with you. I, I love uh, what God's doing all over the heartland of America in the Midwest and uh, I was sharing a little bit last night and with, with Pastor Dave. Was, uh, in, in 2000, I was in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I was in a Sheraton banquet hall. It was actually like a pastor's appreciation thing. And uh, I was there, and there was a, a, a pastor named, he's a bishop actually, named Michael Cole from Grand Forks, North Dakota. And we're just eating dinner, and the dude decides to break out the shofar. Shofar, show good, right? See what I did there? It's early, so you got to just get used to it. Just go ahead and buckle yourself up. Dad jokes, grandpa jokes, like they're, they're here today. And we've locked the back door, so you're not out of here till 1210. So, you know, you could either laugh or... Come on, don't look at me like you've been baptized in lemon juice. Right? We should be the happiest people on the face of the planet because our sins 
have been blotted out. And, and so he blows the shofar, and we're, we're just at a banquet. Like, you know, you're at a banquet. You're supposed to be eating, not really doing anything spiritual. But how many know that eating is spiritual? Right? And, and I get this prophetic word, and the Lord says he's releasing. Uh, there's coming a revival, and fire is going to begin in the heartland. And I saw fires going all across the prairie states in Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska. Uh, and, and the Lord just began to show me that like he, he drew a heart around it. And from this region, like it was going to begin to be spread all through and out America and the nations of the earth. And I've carried that word for a long time. I've reminded myself of it. I spend a lot of time uh, in, in the Midwest, especially as a recovering Chicagoan. We, we did give you the Iowa Cubs. You're welcome. <laughs> Best minor league team in all of baseball. We did just play on the field of dreams in Iowa. Come on. So don't hate. Appreciate. Right? But, but, my, but my heart really burns and beats for what God wants to do in this region of the earth. And so I want you to know something that I believe we're stepping into one of the most significant times of human history. But I also believe that you are living in one of the most significant times and significant places on the planet. There was a word that I gave last night in the beginning uh, that had all to do with Iowa. I, I, would, I would recommend going back and listening to that. Um, I, I wish I could remember it all, um, but, but it's good, all right? I think there was even reference to pork tenderloin. So we're, yeah. But, but I believe the hand of the Lord is moving in powerful and mighty ways, and you get to be a part of that. Can I tell you something? Jesus never spoke one insignificant word. The Lord's never spoken one insignificant word in all of history. That every word that comes out of the mouth of God is living and it's breathing. And it goes forth and it doesn't return to him void, but it accomplishes everything that he sent for, for, uh, for it to do. I also believe this, that all of the promises of God are yes and in him, amen. It means this, that God the Father made the promise. Jesus went to the cross and said yes by his blood. And we get to say amen, so be it. Or really, technically, it's so it be. So you're calling those things that you haven't seen yet as though they were. Can I get an amen to that? That, that there is, that we are on the cusp of watching the, the, the promises of God. I believe we're at the tipping point. We're on the hinge of history. So while we're watching the swirl, the Lord is saying the way you avoid the swirl and the shaking is to be by staying stirred up. It's why Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that came with the words, with the prophetic words from the elders and the laying on of my hands. I believe this, often we're waiting to get something from someone that we already have. My job prophetically isn't to release something to you that you don't have. It's actually to awaken and stir up what's already on the inside of you. And so I believe this, that the Lord is stirring up the church to a place of remembrance. I believe that there are blessing words and there are building words. I don't believe that all blessing words are building words, but I believe all building words will become blessing words. Not trying to give you riddles here. Here's what I'm saying to you. That I think we've become used to blessing prophecy. 
And I love blessing prophecy. I love the encouragement that comes. It's one of the main reasons why prophecy comes, to, to encourage you, to edify you, to, to encourage you, to exhort you, comfort you, strengthen you. But that word edification is really important because it actually means that prophecy comes to build you. So when you hear a prophetic word, the Lord's actually giving you building material. Well, where's that in Scripture? Glad you asked. Hebrews 11 verse 2. By faith, the elders or the men, women of old, obtained a word. They heard a word from God and they framed their world with it. When I used to read that, I used to think that God gave you a picture with a prophetic word. It was like a snapshot. You put a frame around it. You hung it on the wall. You put it on your refrigerator. And you just kept looking at the promise. I think that's okay, but not really the true definition. What it really means is this. By faith, the elders, men and women of God, heard the word of the Lord. And they built the world around them according to what God said. So they had a word from God. That was contradictory to the time and the season they were living in. They had a word from God that was different than what they were experiencing in the natural. And they had a choice to let the natural speak to the supernatural or the supernatural speak to the natural. Is this making any sense? Because here's what happens is we get into this moment where we start letting our circumstances and situations dictate what God said or what the church is supposed to be doing. Instead of actually the church driving the culture and actually changing things because we have the word of God that says that the Lord's about to do these great things. There's some people of the mindset that, that everything's going to hell in a handbasket. But I believe that's contradictory to what God said. Why? Because we're about to see one of the greatest harvests the earth has ever seen. I believe the word about a billion souls harvest. I believe the word that we're about to watch a, a, a movement of salvation and redemption sweep through America. That when darkness is dark, the light shines brighter. That I believe that we're in the midst of watching the, the, the Lord actually release his kingdom on, on earth. That, that his will and his kingdom on earth will be done. Would you agree with me in that? And so this is a season and a time where, where we can't just sit back passively when it comes to the prophetic. In Matthew 10 and 41, it says that if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you, you'll receive a prophet's reward. If you receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, you'll receive a righteous man's reward. Now, you don't have to pucker up. I'm not about to take an offering. <laughs> Basically, that word receive there. Uh, is, it comes four times, but it has two different meanings. Twice it means that if you receive a prophet, if you receive what he's carrying, that word receive there uh, is to embrace it, to like cuddle it up, to go, oh, I love that word. Thank you, Lord. I receive it. But the other part is you hear a word from God and you actually run after it and you pursue it with everything in you until you grab a hold of it and make it yours. And I think we're really good at when the word comes to us, we go, oh, this is really great. I love it. Thank you, Lord. But, but there's times that, that every time the Lord speaks, it's going to require me to run after it with everything in me. Because it's not going to come easily. Immediately, the enemy tries to come and do what? He comes to steal the word. Can anybody relate to it? I, I used to love prophetic words until I read this scripture. Hebrews uh, 10 and 32. That after the illumination, you enter into the fight of affliction. Yeah. 
So in other words, before you get illuminated, before God speaks to you, before the Lord releases your calling and your gifting and speaks destiny words over you and how great your marriage is going to be and how rich you're going to be, all of those things, everything, you're just going along. The enemy leaves you alone because he has nothing to shoot at. But the moment a prophetic word comes on your life, announcing your destiny, announcing purpose, announcing the promises of God in you, now you somehow become a target. Now who wants a prophetic word? No, I'm just, right? It's after the illumination you enter into the fight of affliction. I think that's why it says earlier in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast our confession again to hope for he who made the promises faithful. Because you're going to need that verse when you get to verse 32. Is this making sense to you? It's actually explaining why some of us have been in the season that we've been in. And the Lord is saying, hey, it's time to stir up the gift in you again. Here's what I believe the Lord is saying to the church. I don't believe the church has actually den- denied as a whole or um, has, has despised prophecy or the gifts, but, but I think we've neglected them. Because we've limited them, we put them in our boxes, we put them in our understanding, we put them in a place that, you know, if it's comfortable, if it fits, if it works, if it's in our time frame, all of those things, then, then, then let it rip. But even when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, we so often view the, 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 the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a one-time fill-all event, when actually you should be daily being filled over and over and over and over with the Word of God. Why? If you don't, you will end up living your Christian life like my wife drives her car. It doesn't matter if I'm gone a day, a week, or a month. Whenever I get in that thing, that little yellow light's on. And it's beyond telling you how many miles you got. Like low fuel level. What does that mean? How long has it been like that? I don't know, a couple of days. Like where have you been driving on that? A while. And we, we, we drive on empty. Some of us, we don't like to wait and, and fill it up with 125 bucks, so we, we top it off about 50. So, so we're about halfway full. But what about the fullness? And the Lord's calling us into that place of, of, of living fully full. Why? Because if, if, if you cannot give what you don't have. You cannot give what you don't have. I woke up with these words this morning in my spirit. Be ready in season and out of season. You know, you know the, the story of Jesus, the disciples, and the fig tree? I was reading a while back, I was reading the story. Jesus and the disciples are walking. Jesus decides that he wants some figs. And there's no figs on the tree because it wasn't fig season. Remember the story? And he curses the tree and they come back the next day and the tree is just shriveled up and dead. I read that the other day and I started weeping. And my wife was concerned that I was in menopause. <laughs> I've never had compassion for a tree or a plant. Like, I like plants. But I'm weeping. I'm feeling bad because this tree is dead. And I'm going, Jesus, that tree had leaves on it. 
but it wasn't fig season yet. You wanted figs. It wasn't really the fig's fault, the fig tree's fault. And then I heard these words, who is the creation to tell the creator when it's going to bear fruit? And I think often we're like, well, not my season, not my time. I don't feel like it. You know what? It's almost time to hunt. It's time to harvest. It's time to. I'm not preaching to Iowans. I'm talking to South Dakotans right now. Okay. <laughs> and we go, Lord, that's just not my season yet. But I've got to be ready in season and out of season. And I just believe there's, there's an anointing where the Lord is readying the body that we're, that we're going to be on the ready. Standing on the ready, because when it comes, it's going to be too late to prepare. I believe probably one of the most prophetic, significant prophetic words I could give you today as a church is this. Prepare to accommodate. Preparation belongs to me, but timing belongs to the Lord. It's one thing for me to prepare for what I've seen, heard, and known, but it's completely different for me to try to prepare for what I've never seen or known before. And right now I'm telling you, prepare to accommodate. Because you're about to be a part of this massive move of harvest, this massive move of the Spirit, healings and miracles. And I have a word for you. I love your building. It's very pretty and beautiful and all of those things. But this next move of God's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. I like to know what's about to happen, but at the same time, the, the Lord is, is putting us on a need-to-know basis. He tells us what we need to know when we need to know it. We have the privilege of having Stephanie Gretzinger to be as a part of our church in Franklin. And she said something really powerful the other day. She said, the closer you get to the Holy of Holies, the less you get to take with you. The closer you get into the presence of God, the closer you get to his heart, the deeper you, to his heart, the deeper you get into his presence, the, the less you get to take with you. And that's something. I had this revelation the other day that what got me here probably isn't enough to get me there. What I thought was enough to get me here is probably not enough to get me there. And I believe the Lord's about to move us into a season of sacrifice and obedience. To live in a place of being absolutely abandoned to obedience no matter what it costs me. Let me tell you, I gave you the definition, but let me give you the, what, what that really is. It's the fear of the Lord. And I feel like the fear of the Lord is in the house. I believe that the fear of the Lord is coming in this region. It's coming to the church again like never before. I believe with all my heart that this, this would be a word, a now word for the church as a whole. Don't tolerate what Jesus came to terminate. The, the Lord wants to set us free from this tolerant society and culture, even within the church. I'm not talking about being hateful. I'm not talking about getting on soapboxes. I'm not talking about being petty about issues. But why would I tolerate sickness when Jesus said it is finished on the cross and he came to terminate it? The truth is we can't get rid of demons we like playing with. And I feel like the Lord is actually causing the church to actually wake up and come to its senses 
around stuff we've been tolerating and playing with. Does that make sense? It's really for the church down the street, but I had to get it out. All right. If you want to know what time it is prophetically, I, I believe that these, this word would be a prophetic pinpoint in the spirit right now of where we are. Habakkuk 1 verse 5. Habakkuk 1 verse 5. Look among the nations and be utterly astounded that even if I were to tell you a thing, you wouldn't be able to comprehend it. If, if you're negative in nature, you're thinking, oh man, there's going to be so many bad things that are about to happen. I can't even wrap my mind around it. It's going to be so bad. But the truth is this. The Lord is saying that, that look among the nations and be utterly astounded because I'm going to do so many amazing things. There's going to be such an outpouring of my spirit, such a harvest of souls, such movement of signs, wonders, and miracles in the earth that you won't even be able to wrap your mind around it because it's going to blow your mind and knock your socks off. And that's the time, my friends, that we actually are living in right now. Can somebody say amen to that? Come on, that means that I should get really excited that I could have been born at any other time in history, but the Lord saw fit that I'd be alive in 2022, that I'd be here in Ankeny, Iowa, because God's about to move, because God's put you on the map. I remember being in a little town in Ashby, Minnesota. I was actually out in the middle of nowhere on a gravel road. I got in late at night, so I didn't even know where I was. I woke up, I fell asleep on the couch of the place I was staying in and I was in such a deep sleep and I woke up about an hour after I fell asleep and I was like, Lord, where am I? And the Lord said, you're in the middle of somewhere. Can I tell you something? I believe that's a word for Ankeny. You're in the middle of somewhere. You're not just in the middle of the nation, you're in the middle of Somewhere. And the Lord's putting you on the map spiritually. And when you understand that, you realize that, that man, there's purpose, there's calling, there's, there, there's destiny in our midst. Last year uh, in October, my, my mom was coming to the end of her battle with cancer and we moved her home and hospice care and myself and one of my sisters took care of her, her, her final couple weeks uh, on the earth. And my, my mother was a woman of, of deep faith. And um, she was just this powerful woman of just prayer. And, and in the process of cancer, my, my wife and my, mo my mother had no fear. So she called me a year ago this week and told me that, she, that they had found this, these tumors. And I said, Mom, how do you feel about that? Are you afraid? And she said, what, what am I afraid of? She said, cancer is not big enough to kill me. The devil's not big enough to kill me because all my days were written in a book. Until I get to the end of that day, to that last day, that last breath that was written in the book, I ain't going nowhere. And I watched her just go through some treatments with grace. And when she finally came to the place where she was just done with the treatments and uh, towards the end of, uh, of October last year, um, uh, we, we brought her home and we were staying with her. And she would have these amazing encounters with God. They, they, they were amazing for her, but not convenient for me. Here's why. They came at like 2.30 in the morning. My mother would lock the door so I couldn't get in the house if I tried to get in at 2.30 in the morning. And now she's waking up. <clears throat> How many know what I'm talking about? She'd go, David, are you awake? Oh, yeah, I was just waiting for you to tell me something. 
And she would all of a sudden, she'd go, oh. And I, I thought something was happening to her. She goes, oh, can you imagine? I'm about to see him any moment now face to face. That's how she faced death. Oh, I'm about to see him face to face. I've been with amazing men of God in their final days, women of God, and they wondered, did I do enough? And what's it going to be like? And my mom was going, oh, I'm just about to see him face to face. One night she had this encounter and she just said, uh, David, um, I need to tell you something. She said, spiritual warfare is real and I kind of knew that already. <laughs> but she was making a point. Spiritual warfare is real. And she said, they used to say that my generation, the World War II, Great Depression era generation was the greatest generation she said, that may have been true until now, but the greatest generation is being born and now up into their 20s and early 30s. She said, that's why the warfare against this generation and why so many things are coming after them is because God's marked them for something. And he said, I just saw a drop of his blood and Jesus showed the power of a drop of his blood. He said, I saw it drip down and it came and it covered the entire globe because it still has one drop, still has enough power to, to cover a multitude of sins. It has the, enough power to save the multitudes. It has a, a, enough power to set the captive free and, and all of these things. And she's just sharing at 2.30 in the morning, just pouring her heart out. And she says, I, I have to tell you this. And she said, you have to tell the church. So my mom got a prophetic word. She gave it to me and I'm giving it to you. Habakkuk 2 verse 14. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. She said, David, the Lord's calling you to cover the earth. He's putting an anointing on the church to cover the earth. With the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. How, how do you do that? If you can testify, you can prophesy. How, how do you do that? You start declaring what the Lord set you free from. What he's walked you through. What he's brought you out of. How he's healed you. Set you free. How he's turned your life around. Where he met you in your darkest place. Whether you've been walking with him your whole life. Or you just met him yesterday. And when you start declaring what God did. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth. Like the waters cover the sea. It's time to cover the earth. It's time to cover the earth. I believe it with all my heart that the Lord's releasing that mandate upon us. I, I sense that we're on the cusp of something powerful and great. The Lord's bringing the people of God from lamentation to celebration. I believe we've been in two years of lamentation, two years of lamenting. Of what was, what wasn't, what could have been, what might have been, what should have been. And you got to evict the butt brothers out of the church. Would have butt, could have butt, and should have butt. Those butt brothers will stop revival in your life. I would have butt, I could have butt, and I should have butt. Just evict them out of your life. That's free. Go ahead and take that home. Tell that to your kids. Here's a cool word, Benita, is that right? Everything the Lord calls you to comes fully furnished. Everything the Lord calls you to comes fully furnished. 
if he called you to it, he provides for it. When we had that little moment with Benita a little while ago, I was reminded of a lady named Ruth that I met in, in, in Uganda about um, 12 years ago. She was 78 years old. Her husband was a very successful uh, building contractor, builder. His health was failing. They sold off all of their business and properties and they went into a retirement community. He passed away and she was playing bridge and cards and checkers with all of her friends. And she realized these people have just come here to die. They're just trying to live another day and I don't want to die yet. And she just gets on, connects with a ministry group and decides to fly to Uganda at 78 years old on a mission trip. She's there and she walks into what we call the baby house. And there's all these babies that have been abandoned or put up for adoption. Some of them are AIDS babies. Some of them are horrifically deformed, all kinds of things. And she starts rock, rocking these babies. And at 78 years old, she sells everything else she has and she moves to Uganda to rock, to, to rock intercede and prophesy destiny over babies. She's 88. Still doing it. One of my best friends just arrived there this morning. He said, Ruth told me to tell you hi. As long as you got breath, you got purpose. You're never too old. You're not too young. And if you realize that there is no age in the spirit. There's no junior Holy Spirit. There's no senior citizen Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me today? And the Lord's awakening something in us to realize, man, I, I, I was born for this moment and this moment was created for me. Everything he calls you to comes fully furnished. I believe that this is a season of crossing over. Joshua chapter three. Remember the story of Joshua, Joshua one. Moses, my servant is dead as is with Moses, so I'll be with you. Everything that Moses did wrong, you're actually going to make up for it and do right. Can't find Moses' body. Joshua hears the word of the Lord and he begins to prepare and to go for it. Joshua chapter 3, call the elders together, have them, call them to a holy consecration. Get themselves ready. Tell the people, tomorrow we're going in. And the elders are carrying the ark and he tells the people, hey, Keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant because you've never been this way before. What he's saying is keep your eyes on the presence of God because you've never been this way before. I've got news for you today. Where the Lord is taking you, you won't be able to figure it out. What's about to happen here will have glimpses of what you've seen before, but it's going to be completely different. And the only way you'll know how to navigate it and, and walk through it and get there is you keep your eyes on the presence of God because you've never been this way before. It's a season of crossing over. A few months ago, I was spending time with the Lord and um, the Lord just took me in this dream or this vision, showed me a bullseye. And, and, and put an arrow through the bullseye and a number five in the center of it. 
Some thinking, wow, I'm hitting the bullseye. There's grace on my life for this season. And then the dream changes. And I see in this dream um, this, this 1976 uh, Lincoln Continental Mark V. Anybody remember those? This thing was jet black, red pinstripe on it. Had that amazing like window, like portal window in the back. It would be like my dream car. I like boats. Those things had so much get up and go on them. They, they were, you know, I, I remember as a kid, you know, it's like it was just the car. And so I'm having a dream. And I'm thinking the Lord's about to give me this Mark V Lincoln Continental. How many know a wrong interpretation will take you to a wrong destination? Would you believe I showed up at church on that Sunday and right out front was a 1976 jet black, red pinstripe, Mark V Lincoln Continental. And I'm thinking that dude's looking for me to give me the keys. You can't have swag without the wag. So I'm like, Lord, you love me. This is great. It's a desire of my heart. I even told my wife about this. It's amazing. And then I get the revelation that it's not about a car. But the Lord's releasing a Mark 5 anointing upon the church. And in order to understand Mark 5, you've got to understand the last couple verses of Mark 4. Here's where I'll try to land the plane in the next two and a half hours. Just kidding. I know it's the last day of the fair. Am I right? I saw it on the news. It's not prophetic. <laughs> like, man, this guy's good. He knows everything about Iowa. I mean, I'd rather be in Iowa than IOU, right? <laughs> See what I did there? Come back, Holy Spirit. <laughs> so Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus is tired. How many know he's fully God, fully man? God, he's, 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 you know, never gets tired, never sleeps, never slumbers. But his humanity, he gets tired. And he's been around the multitudes, multitudes day and night, have been around him, thronging him. And he says to the disciples, hey, let's go to the other side. I want to spend some time with my father. And I want to spend some time with you. And they get in the boat and there's some other little boats that come with them and they go out across. And Jesus is tired. So he goes to sleep in the stern of the boat, goes to the back of the boat, falls asleep. A storm comes out of nowhere. It doesn't seem to hit the little boats, but it's hitting the boat where the disciples and Jesus are in. Remember the story? So waves are bashing in, water's filling the boat. It's raining, it's windy. They feel tempest tossed. And they forget everything they've learned from chapter 1 to 4. They forget all of the teachings of Jesus, the power of Jesus. They forget that God incarnate is with them in the boat. And they become like ordinary church people going, God really don't care about us. I can't believe he's allowing us to happen. This is, if he's sovereign, he could have stopped that. I mean, before, why would he bring us out here? We're going to die. Now, can, how can he be sleeping in a moment like this? I mean, isn't this both time, like he's supposed to be in charge and in control. And we're supposed to be, you know, being able to hear. Why aren't we sleeping? Why is he asleep? All of those things. And, and now fear is coming in. And the storm is raging. 
And they come to the place where he doesn't care about us and we're all going to die. Duh, he's in the same boat. If you're going to go through a boat into a, in a storm, you might as well have Jesus in your boat, right? To be honest, I'd never get in a boat with the disciples. Go fishing, never catch any fish. Storms, troubles everywhere. Like, see you 11. You guys go ahead first. I'll catch up later. Right? And finally they go to Jesus, wake him up. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you love us anymore? And I used to think that from my Sunday school days that Jesus just jumped up and went, peace be still. But the more I know Jesus, the more I think it was like this. Peter, five more minutes. <laughs> Thomas, I know you're doubting that I'm going to wake up in five more minutes, but, but just give me a break. Andrew, talk some sense into these guys a minute. Man, I was just having a dream. Oh, a little windy, a little rainy. Water up to my knees. I was sleeping in a water bed. <laughs> Peace, be still. And the wind stops and the waves stop. And Jesus asks them a question. How is it that you have no faith? Better translated, where is your faith? I used to think he was rebuking them and maybe that was in there. But I think really what he was doing is saying, hey, faith isn't something you conjure up. Faith is with you, in you. I am your faith. And they marveled. They said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Remember the story? They finally get to the other side, time to rest. And here comes this man full of demons running at him. Remember the story? And Jesus has this encounter with him. He's, he's known as crazy naked guy. He, he runs around naked. He, he lives in the tombs in the cemetery with dead people. He beats him silly with chains and sticks and nobody can control him. When they put him in chains, he breaks the chains off and everybody knows him. And he comes to Jesus and the demons start talking. Don't send us back to the abyss. Don't send us back to where we came from. Please, please, please don't do that. And then Jesus asked this question, what is your name? I used to think that Jesus was talking to the demons, like identify yourself. The more I know him, the more I believe this to be true. He was actually saying to, to the man, what's your name? Because you're worth me getting to know. You're valuable to me. Who are you? I understand you're in torment right now. But there's something in me that wants to connect to something in you. And the demons talk. They say, we are legions because we're very many. And here's what blows my mind. Jesus answers the prayer of the demons. 
And all of a sudden, there's a herd of pigs running down the mountains of the Gadarenes. Have you ever been to Israel? Have you ever been to Jordan? Have you ever seen a pig? My prophetic hypothesis is this, is that God actually created pigs, the most unclean thing to run down at that moment so Jesus could cast the demons into the pigs. And they jump off of the cliff and into the water. What was the water? What he just spoke peace to? So in the midst of your greatest storm, Jesus will create an atmosphere of peace that will drown your biggest demons. Because peace is power. Drowns the pigs. And here comes the religious townspeople. Some people preach it as if they were pig farmers and they were mad because they lost all of their pigs. This is Jordan and Israel, not Iowa. Right? Context is important. These religious townspeople go, hey, you're upsetting our ecosystem. We're actually comfortable with him being bound and, and, and consumed and possessed by demons. We know what time he's going to manifest and we know just to walk the other side of the street. And we're okay with that because it's predictable. But now there's way too much God in church and now we don't know what to expect because now this guy's free. So we would prefer you, Jesus, to go somewhere else. And he answers the prayer of the religious people. And they're getting ready to get in the boat to go to the other side. And here comes the man who just got set free. He said, Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus doesn't answer his prayer. He says, no, I need you to stay here and tell everybody what happened to you. Bobby Connor says that in a moment, he went from a maniac to a missionary. In one moment, he went from demonized, naked, crazy guy to an evangelist. And we don't know what to do with stories like that. We don't know what to do with people like that. A few years ago, my friend planted a church in Tulsa because Tulsa needed another church. (laughs) And he grew it to 80, then he grew it to 40, then he grew it to 80, then he grew it to 40. And he decided to have this weekend of, of, of a person in gifts of the Holy Spirit seminar. And I came in, I taught. And it's Friday night, we're getting ready to kick this thing off. And there was a couple that were new to the church. They'd been with them about six months and they invited another couple. They went out to eat uh, beforehand and on the way to the church after dinner or supper. I don't want you to mix up your afternoons and evenings. I know. You're thinking, why are they eating dinner at six o'clock at night? That's supper. Unless you're old like me, then it's dessert in bed. A waitress tried to talk me into dessert the other day. 
I told her I was full and trying to watch my figure. She said, well, dessert doesn't go to your stomach. It goes to your heart. Go ahead and use that. I took two diets and combined them. Paleo and keto. And I just made it paquito, which in Spanish means little. So just occasionally I'm on a little diet. Has nothing to do with the message. But I wanted to bless you with it. And they go out to eat and they leave the, the supper and they are, are driving down the street and they see this guy walking and the people in the back seat recognize that that's a the guy they work with. So the people in the front seat said, should we bring him? And they said, sure. And so they pull over the side of the road. They say, hey, Christopher, would you like to come with us to church? And the guy says, sure. He gets in the car and they start driving to the church. And as soon as he closes the door, they realize they have a huge problem. Because Christopher is three sheets to the wind, drunk. He's vomited on himself, urinated on himself. He is in no condition to go to the house of God. So the wives start texting each other. I'm so sorry this is happening. I know you're probably never going to invite us again. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? They come up with a plan. We're going to get there. There's a lost and found at the church. As soon as they get them there, they're going to get them you know, cleaned up. They're going to give them some clothes out of lost and found, get them some coffee, put them in an Uber, a Lyft, or a, a taxi, and send them on his way. But they pull into the church parking lot, and Christopher has a completely different idea, opens the door, runs into the church, comes through the foyer, hooks a right, runs to the front of the church, falls on his face, and starts weeping. An elder comes in, and an elder goes, can't have a drunk, vomited, urinated person in the front of our starting church. And so he prays for him and says, come on, buddy, I need to get you to the back. Church is about to start. And they bring him into the kitchenette. And I'm in there with the pastor drinking coffee. And I said, hey, man, what's your name? And he goes, and the elder goes, don't worry, Brother Dave. We got this under control. We're going to get him cleaned up. Going to get him some coffee, get some clothes from the lost and found. We're going to put him in a cab and send him on his way. I said, that's not what I asked. I said, what's your name? He said, Christopher Acornstock, Native American Cherokee. And I said, hey, Christopher Acornstock, I'm David. How, how would you like to be my guest of honor? And he said, sure. <laughs> we cleaned him up. We put him right on the front row center seat. Right there on the aisle. Church people squirming. I'm teaching and dude falls out of his seat. Not under the power of God. He's drunk. Fell asleep, thud. He would scream out like he had Tourette's. Words that you shouldn't say in church or on the farm, even though it's a way of life. I know some of you. Right? He's making all kinds of bodily function noises. It's like... I'm trying to teach, and the Lord's whispering in my ear, isn't it great? Isn't it great? And I say, yeah, Lord, it's great. What's so great about it? He goes, isn't it great? He doesn't know how to behave in church yet. 
people are whispering. This is not decent and order. We are a family church. Why would the pastor actually have this guy in to speak and he's going to invite people like that into our church? This guy's a prophet. Didn't he know he was crazy? Didn't he know he's like, why would he do this? We pay good money. We pay that pastor. I mean, enough for he only has to work part time. Guest speaker, I bet he can take up a love offering and everything. How dare they bring a man like that in a drunk guy? Can you imagine that? So I finished teaching the night session. I go, Christopher, would you like to give your life to Jesus? He goes, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I made him hold up his hands like, he, you know, he made him look like he was being robbed at gunpoint, you know? Because <laughs> unless you look like you're being robbed at gunpoint, it's not real. <laughs> Lift your hands. That's before we say, give us all your money. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Not at Heartland, not Pastor Dave. <laughs> but you know. Right? He prays the prayer. Power of God hits him, falls to the ground. Three demons come screaming out. He gets up a few minutes later and goes, Hey, where'd my buzz go? Ah, forget it. This is better. And, and he hurts my feelings a little bit. Because I'm not teaching on tongues until 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And it's only 9 o'clock on Friday evening. He's having a good old time in the Holy Spirit. And then he really freaks me out. I mean, I mean, I'm a pretty radical guy. But he starts singing a prophetic word over me. I see wooden shoes on fire, tulips on fire, windmills on fire. The Lord's going to take you back to the place where your grandfather came to America from. The place you told God you don't want to go back to. And the Lord's releasing the reformers fire on you. And, and, and this guy has, like, like he's just, and now I'm offended because I'm not teaching on prophecy till four tomorrow. <laughs> and the Lord just gives him everything all at once. I mean, he didn't even go through Father's Heart School of Prophecy. <laughs> he didn't go to Bible College, Bridal College, School of Matrimony, School of Ministry. Some of you have been to Bridal College. Instead of Bible college. It's funny. I don't care who you are. It's funny. Or <laughs> this guy tell me what's funny and not funny. I'm going back to Tennessee tonight. You'll get Pastor Dave back next week. It's going to be great. He slipped me a 50 before I got up here. He said, I need you to talk real long. So next week when I get up here, they think I'm short. <laughs> Come on, if you're not having fun in church, you're probably not doing church right. 
So this, this guy reads my mail. He's prophesying to me. And at the end, we decide we're going to go to IHOP. Now we're done being spiritual. We're not going to International House of Prayer. We're going to International House of Pancakes. <laughs> and Christopher comes with us. And he's telling us the story of how uh, two weeks before this, his, both his parents were in a head-on wreck and got killed. And the day before this, his only brother, his only living relative was crushed. He was changing a tire on a semi-trailer and it came out from underneath a jack, dropped on him. And so he was trying to drink enough courage to kill himself that night. Had never been to church, never watched church on TV. When they asked him if he wanted to come to church, he thought they were inviting him to another bar. Okay. So he, he comes to IHOP with us. And I think he's pretty free until he orders. Rudy Tootie, fresh and fruity. Now, I'd like to put a time out in my message a minute. Why do I have to order Rudy Tootie, fresh and fruity? Why can't I just ask for pancakes with whipped cream and strawberries? But if you try to say, I would like the pancakes with whipped cream and strawberries, they'll go, what's it called? Because they try to make you say it. And I'm uncomfortable with that. <laughs> and it's not just IHOP. There's Denny's. Moon's over Miami. I just want English muffin, Canadian bacon, and an egg. Why do we got to get weird? So, so we order... We're drinking coffee, we order, waiting for our, our food to come out. And this group of 13 drunk guys comes in to IHOP. And they're causing a ruckus. They're, they're, they're throwing spit wads. They're, 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 they're taking the paper for that was surrounding the straws before everybody had paper straws, which is another weird thing to me. <laughs> and, and they're blowing them and they're, and they're just, they're being obnoxious and they're cursing and they're cussing and they're being hard on the waitress. And the manager's about to go there and kick them out. Christopher goes, excuse me a minute. And he goes over there and he, he gets to their table and he just puts his hands on the table. He starts talking to them. Then about three minutes, all of these guys are weeping. It's a couple more minutes, he has all the guys raising their hands. He comes back to the table. I say, dude, what happened? He goes... I saw guys like me, so I just did to them what you did to me. In an hour and a half, went from drunk, demonized, suicidal, to born again, completely free, baptized in the Holy Spirit, prophesying, and now he's an evangelist. The, the next day... The next day, we get to the church at nine in the morning, and Christopher is there with 40 of his newest friends. Some of them have grass in their hair, pebbles engraved, you know, ingrained into their kneecaps and elbows, some of them bleeding a little bit. I go, Christopher, what's up? He said, I couldn't sleep last night, so I just found people that were like me. And I started bringing them here. If they couldn't walk, I just rolled them. And he starts his ministry by rolling drunks. 
what are we going to do when God sends us people who don't know how to behave in church yet? It's that Mark 5 anointing. I believe there's about to be an anointing of Mark 5, Luke 8, come upon this house where you're about to watch people get get so radically set free, so radically transformed. You're going to see people resurrected. You're going to see people healed. You're going to see people completely transformed by the power of God. It's the assignment of the Lord on this house. It's a beautiful thing. You know, my beautiful mother, um, she she loved me to life. And and I was... uh, as at an early age, I was seven years old and I was diagnosed with schizophrenia. I became, uh, I started drinking, smoking by seven years old, started drinking by nine years old. By 12 years old, I was running the streets and I became one of those kids that you didn't want your kids hanging out with. I was perverted, I was troubled, I was all of those things. At 13 years old, I decided I didn't want to live and so I hung a rope in the rafters of our garage And I jumped off, and I hung there, and then the rope broke. At 17, I tried to drive my 1977 Monte Carlo into Lake Michigan. As I accelerated across the parking lot to go into the lake, it completely ran out of gas, although the tank was full. A hole got put in the gas tank. I tried to do it again a few months later, and as I was going across, I hit a semi-truck. But I didn't get a bump, a bruise, or a scratch, because I had my seatbelt on. Listen, I wanted to die. I didn't want to get hurt. (laughs) Besides, click it or ticket. I had this call of God on my life and I was running. On Easter Sunday of 1994, I was drunker than a skunk. And I don't know what a drunk skunk looks like, but I'm sure it smells bad and looks funny. Easter Sunday, I got a phone call if I want to see my grandmother and say goodbye to her. I need to get to the hospital. She had a massive stroke. We got there. She had the death rattle going on, and we were saying goodbye. And all of a sudden, she scared the snot out of us. She sat straight up in the bed and started singing. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. To thee all the folly of sin I resign. She went back into a coma, came up three more times and finished the whole song. She was in and out and about two in the morning we were saying goodbye, expecting her to, 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 to pass. The next morning I went to see her at 8.30 in the morning and my little Dutch grandmother was sitting up in the bed drinking tea. I walked in the room, she said, David, I know it was your night. I, I know you were here last night. It was my night to, be, to go home and be with the Lord. But he kept me alive to tell you this. He's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever you go, lives will be touched and changed. And you'll be the one to win your brother. Fifteen minutes later, my grandmother went home to be with the Lord, and I went running from God. I moved from Chicago to Wisconsin. If you ever get the opportunity, don't do that. Bears good, Packers bad. I bind that line spirit that just said go Packers right now.
in the name of Jesus. Come back, Holy Spirit. Forgive her, Father. She knows not what she said. And, and I'm just running from God. And this crazy thing starts happening. I, I, I try to get drunk and I'm drinking in the bars. And all of a sudden they kick me out. But no longer because I'm fighting, but because I'm preaching. I tie one on. I look at the guy next to me and go, Jesus, love you, man. Die on the cross for your sin, man. And they say, Wagner, make up your mind. Be a preacher or be a drunk. You can't be both. Even we know that. <laughs> and misery didn't like company. I put a 38 special to my head. I pulled the trigger six times when they recovered the gun. Every bullet had been fired, but none came out of the gun. I took a Glock 17 9 millimeter, put it in my mouth, pulled the trigger numerous times when they recovered that gun. Three bullets had been fired. One was uh, at the end of the barrel, one was right behind it, and one was coming out of the clip. I met a girl. We were doing all the things you shouldn't do before you get married. But there was a major problem. She had a crazy Christian mother who believed the whole Bible, like every word of it. And we'd go there and she'd be like, I love you and I'm praying for you. I'm like, I hate you and don't pray for me, pray for you. And the unthinkable thing happened. She won the girl, her mom won her to the Lord. And I thought it was cute, but I also thought she'd get over it. And she didn't. She gave me an ultimatum. If I wanted to go to church, uh, if I wanted to stay with her, I had to go to church. But it was one of those churches that believed the whole Bible. Every word of it. So I said, I'll go, but under two conditions. Number one, anybody speaks in tongues, I'm out of there. I don't believe anything, but I know that's not for today. And number two, if any of y'all roll in the aisles like your holy rollers do, I'm gone. They had a guest preacher that day. <laughs> Came out dressed up like a clown. Clown pants, clown shoes, rainbow suspenders, flower squirted water, clown nose, no makeup, thank you, Jesus, clown hat. To make it worse, he was preaching on a unicycle. I said, Look, holy roller, I'm gone. And, and she said, no, no, wait. And he was a missionary to Spain and he was doing his, sharing the gospel with balloon animals like he did in the, in the squares of Madrid with the kids. And, and he was the worst preacher I ever heard. He would lose track of his notes. He would lose track of all this stuff. And, and, and he was just like, there was all these awkward moments of silence. Kind of like that. And one of those awkward moments of silence, somebody let out in tongues. It sounded like keys to a Honda, shoot a mosquito, came in a Ford, left in a Chevy, burrito, taco, chicken, almond, ding, Des Moines, Iowa. And the guy gives the interpretation that there's a young man here. You're 26 years old. You've been running from God your whole life. The Lord spoke to you when you were six. Again, on your grandmother's deathbed a few years ago, and he's speaking to you again today. He won't relent. He won't repent. He's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever you go, lives we touch and changed. And... And I wept, but I didn't respond. And every revelation requires a response. 
the girl broke up with me, to be honest. Uh, she, she divorced me, and the day the divorce was final, I took 250 prescription pills, a bottle of gin, a 12-pack of beer, and I laid down to die, or so I thought. Nobody knows how it happened. I ended up in a church 12 miles away from where I was living in front of a pastor his first day out of seminary. <laughs> I dropped dead in his office, he called the ambulance. They, they revived me. After about three or five minutes, they brought me to the hospital. I spent two and a half days in a, in a coma. They called my mother, and um, my mother shared this story with me for the first time in Iowa in 2019. She remembers sitting on the steps of her house, her condo in, in Chicago. Doctor's still on the phone. She said, devil, Satan, you can't have my son. And Lord, I don't know how you do what you do, but I'm asking that you make my son a miracle. I named him David because I always believed he'd be my little shepherd boy. And I'm asking that you make my son a miracle and that you would turn this thing around. I can't say it was at the exact moment, but around that time, a bright light came in the room and Jesus revealed himself to me again. I said, son, I, I won't repent and I won't relent. I haven't changed my mind about you. I've called you to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever you go, lives be touched and changed. And all I can tell you is, is I died crazy, but I woke up in my sound mind. I died empty, but I woke up hungry, and there's a huge difference. And I felt love like I've never felt love before. My first prayer wasn't the sinner's prayer. I didn't know that one. My first prayer was simply this. God, if you can love me when I can't love myself, I'll serve you the rest of the days of my life. It's why I'm here today. I shouldn't be here. There's no earthly reason why I should be alive today. But I'm alive because he had the first word over my life and he'll have the last word over my life. And he's able to take care of all the parts in between. I've had some successes in life, but I've had some unique failures. My two biggest failures are this. Number one is I've never been able to get God to change his mind about me. And the second one is I've never been able to outrun my mama's prayers. And although she's, she's gone from this earth, those prayers are eternal. And I just believe right now, and I know I've shared a long time, but I believe that you are on the cusp of one of the greatest moves of God the earth has seen. The church as a whole is that, but you're going to have such an amazing part of that. And in the midst of it, I believe you're about to watch the redemption of families. There's a reason I shared my story. Because you need to let, maybe you're walking through, you've got wayward kids, you've got addicted kids, tormented kids. Let my testimony become your prophecy. If God did it for my mama, if God did it for me, he'll do it for you. He'll do it for your son. He'll do it for your daughter. And I'm just telling you right now that this is going to be a, a, a fall, an autumn season of harvest, the harvest of your hearts, the harvest of your families. That If I were you, I would set an extra chair at, at, at supper tables and call it the prodigal's chair because people who hadn't put their, sat there for a long time are going to come back and sit there. I believe we're about to watch household salvations. I believe we're about to see five generations uh, sitting together in the house of God. That we're going to watch great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents sitting all the way down with their great-great-grandchildren. Watching the call of God just begin to emerge and rise up. Does this make any sense with you today? I'm not just storytelling. I'm not just trying to be funny this morning. I believe I preached the word of God. And I believe that I've been prophesying to you in conversation this morning. 
And today, I'm just telling you right now, I'll go back to kind of where I started, is that some of you right now, you've been, enter, you've been in the fight of affliction, but God's about to release breakthrough. I feel breakthrough in the room. I feel breakthrough in the room. A few years ago, I was standing in, in Pemba, Mozambique. I was on, uh, on, the, on the ocean. Me and my daughter were standing there, and these waves started coming to the point where we had to keep moving back because the ground we were standing on no longer existed because the waves came and changed the landscape. And I believe right now that the Lord is releasing that breaker anointing upon this house, that actually your prayers and the worship and the praise that comes out of this place, that this ministry is actually going to begin to change the spiritual landscape of Iowa and the Midwest. Are are you hearing me this morning? And so I believe right now in this room that the hand of the Lord is coming to unlock. He's coming to infuse hope. Pastor Dave said at the end of, of, of the meeting last night, I feel like it's a prophetic word for all of us right now. And that is get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Romans 5 and 15 says that uh, put your hope in God because hope does not disappoint. Are you hearing me this morning? So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that this word would land upon the hearts of your people. Lord, I thank you that right now in this room that you're moving by the power of your spirit. Lord, I thank you for the miracle stories that are in this room. That, Lord, the glory of God is resting upon the story of your people. And Lord, I thank you for what you're doing and what you're about to do. And even how you're working behind the scenes in ways we don't understand or comprehend yet. But, Lord, we're about to watch the miracles in the making. And I believe that there's some people in this room today. Lord, just show me that there's people straddling the fence. You've got one foot in and one foot out. And you've been in this place where you feel like you're in the tug of war between light and darkness, between the enemy and and the Lord. And I'm telling you right now, I saw the Lord pulling you into himself and the enemy losing his grip. And I feel like there's some of you right now that the Lord's bringing you out of the valley of decision. He wants to bring you up to the mountain of change. I know we've gone a little bit over and you need to get your kids in in a second. But I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads. Right now in this place, I'm going to ask you a simple question. And the question is, do you know Jesus today? Not asking, do you know about him? Not asking if you have confirmation or holy communion. I'm asking, do you know him? If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, today would be a great day to say, Jesus, I want to give you everything. Romans says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's bad news. It means we all deserve to die and go to hell. But the good news is, while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. Acts says there's no other name in heaven or in the earth other than the name of Jesus by which a man can be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul the Apostle said that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the, is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, then you're children of God. Jesus took it a step further. He said, if you confess to me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you got your, you're, you're on the line, you got one foot over and one foot in, I believe this, that the Lord's knocking on the doors of our hearts today. He's, he's knocking on the doors of our lives. And if you'll answer, if you'll say yes to him, he wants to come in and change everything. Today, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, or you found yourself, find yourself in a backslidden place, uh, away from God, away from his presence, doing things that you know Jesus wouldn't do, there's no condemnation, there's no 
Uh, There's no shame in this. But if you're in this room and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life where you find yourself away from God and you say, Dave, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If you want me to include you in that prayer, I just want you to put your hand up and you put it right back down. Dave, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I see your hand back there, sir. Thank you. See your hand in the back there. See your hands in the back there. Thank you. Anybody else today? I need to get right with God. I need to give my life to Jesus today. The greatest decision I ever made was on January 17th, 1997, when Jesus came into my life, not just as my Savior, but as my Lord. Changed everything. If you just raised your hand, I want to keep my word, uh, and I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. To make that easier, I just ask you if you would consider getting out of your seat and just come to the front, and, and I'll meet you there. You might be asking, David, can I just pray the prayer here? And the answer is yes. The prayer doesn't save you. The decision in your heart, the confession with your mouth does. Uh, But there's something about coming forward. There's something about a prophetic act, about moving from where you are to where, where he's taking you. So there are about four or five hands all over the room. Again, I want to keep my word. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. And, and I want to minister to you first this morning. So anybody else that's coming, just, just come quickly. If you're afraid to come, embarrassed to come, just ask the person you came with and they come stand right behind you. And so, Lord, I just thank you right now, Lord, for the miracles in our midst. Lord, I, I thank you that, Lord, I've seen the dead raised, the blind see. I've seen all the New Testament miracles. But, Lord, this never gets old. That, Lord, this is the greatest miracle we'll ever see. And so, Lord, I just thank you right now for the miracle that you're doing. And these two amazing, brave, courageous men and those others that lifted their hands. And I would just ask you to you can lift up your hands like it's an international sign of surrender. I like to look at it like this. When I would travel, when my kids were young, I would come home and they would just jump into my arms. That's how you're coming to God today. You can hold your hands out like you're receiving a gift because it's a free gift. You can't earn it. It's a gift of God's love. But I'd like to ask those of you that have come, and those of us in the room, we just pray this prayer out loud. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, today I give you everything. I give you my past, my present, and my future. I believe you're the son of God, that God raised you from the dead. I confess I'm a sinner. I've broken your law and your heart. But today I believe you're my perfect savior. And I invite you in to be my Lord, to be my savior and my very best friend. And from this moment on, I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.